Well, thank you folks for leading us in our worship. It's much appreciated. So, um, about three weeks ago, uh, we were in Acts chapter 10, the account of Peter going to uh, speak to Cornelius uh, with the gospel. Uh, the theme over all of that excursion into Acts chapter 10 was about prejudice. And I'm really a bit worried about that because I've since heard the same subject being preached again. I'm beginning to worry. Uh, have I got a bit of a problem with this? So I've got to look at that one. But uh, in trying to decide where we were going to go today, I thought I'd share something that has occurred to me when you look at Acts chapter 10. When you took a look at the story of Peter going to Cornelius, his purpose was to preach the gospel. That's why God was doing this. His purpose was to preach the gospel. And at this point in, the, in history, the gospel was being unleashed to all the world and into all the nations. And it is still there. Is, is that, have you got that picture? Um, put that up for me. It's not really what we're going to be talking about so much. But there's that picture. It's not an up-to-date map of the world. It's probably about 10 years out of date. I couldn't find the more up-to-date one. Um, and the red, I'll not mention the other colors because I'm a bit colorblind and I don't know what the other colors are, but the big red splash in the middle is the part of the world that are, is still largely unreached by the gospel that Peter brought to Cornelius. And the, the problem is that this is the grand mission responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we are about. This is red, but actually its color is dark, maybe as black as night. That's what it maybe should be. Because this is the largely unreached part of the world. And this is the thing that we're supposed to be piercing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My thought is this, as I listened to the account of Peter going to Cornelius, and as I read the text, the passage, including chapter 11, which of course is Peter reporting this to the Christians, the apostles in Jerusalem, who really didn't, like were so prejudiced against those outside, the Gentiles, that they really couldn't believe what Peter was up to. And worse than that, he ate food with them. You have to understand that when you went to eat food, with someone in that culture, and probably still in that culture, you were indicating close fellowship with them. But these were the dogs who hardly deserved the crumbs under the table. What was Peter doing there? We have to remember that it wasn't just a religious thing. The Jews hated every aspect of pagan culture, Roman culture, anybody else's culture. It wasn't just a religious thing. They so detested the Gentile world and what it stood for, which was nearly all the world at that time. But this mission raises many questions about the spread of the gospel. And some ask the question which is on the screen. And you might think this is, well, I've been coming to Ravenhill for the last X number of years. I know the gospel. I'm saved. What has this to do with me? Well, let's just hang in there. Because this is the question which is very often asked, uh, both by Christians and non-Christians. 
What about those who have never heard the gospel? Cornelius had never heard the gospel. What about those who have never heard the gospel? This is not a new question. It has been asked endlessly down through the the centuries. And we must be careful with it because many use this question or the answer to this question to conclude that they want nothing to do with God and they want nothing to do with Christianity or the gospel. Often um, it is phrased in the wording, what about the innocent person who has never heard about Jesus? I would be really surprised if you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian and this thought has never come across your mind. What about the innocent person who has never heard about Jesus? Let me ask you to realize that it's important for us to understand this is not actually a valid question. It's out of court right away if you understand the scriptures, understand the Bible. There are no innocent people. That's the gospel. There are no innocent people. All, Paul says, all have sinned. All, put it in capital letters in the forefront of your your spiritual vision, all have sinned. And therefore, therefore, all have fallen short of the glory of God. They have fallen short of what God has created mankind to be. There are no innocent, naturally innocent people. The tiniest little baby, I know even Presbyterians have a problem with this, the tiniest little baby is a sinner who has never walked or crawled or has just come out of the womb is still a sinner. Still a sinner. This is all inclusive. Why is the tiniest little baby still a sinner? Because it's not what we do or don't do which makes us a sinner. It's what's inherited from Adam. It's what's in there already we are born with. I'm sure that's not news to many people here. It is not the hearing of the gospel which makes us sinners and therefore guilty before God. We are sinners already. That's our nature and we cannot escape it. It comes with the territory of being human, being a child of Adam, and it's not nice. It's a dangerous position to be in for all of us, and especially if we have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But back to the question, back to the question. Is it possible for such a person to be saved without the gospel. Let me tell you, there are people who believe that. Let me, say, let me do the question again. Is it possible for such a person to be saved without the gospel? Now, we need to look, therefore, at this example of such a person in the Bible, and that's Cornelius. Let me take you through just four points. They are short points. We'll not be here, hopefully, all day. First of all, it's a recap. What, what chapter 11 does, as Peter Uh, reports to the Christians in Jerusalem. He gives a recap of all that happened and is recorded for us in chapter 10. The story of Cornelius, the Gentile centurion, could lead some to believe that a person can be saved from 
apart from knowing the gospel and just by fearing God and doing all the good that he or she can. And Cornelius and all his family are described as being devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So that's his definition. That's the way he was. Pretty good man. He was held in great respect by the Jews, a Roman centurion, but they still wouldn't have gone to have dinner with him. So an angel appears to him. I don't know if you remember what Marty said three weeks ago. This wouldn't have been somebody in a, in a, in a white gown and wings and fluffy white hair and all, all the rest of it. More likely, it would have been something extremely scary. Peter, uh, Cornelius was very frightened. That's the best picture of an angel, a soldier with a sword. And the angel assures him that his, his, the word we use is piety, his goodness and his religious fervor has been noticed in the presence of God and that he should send for a guy called Simon Peter. He's in Joppa at the present time, staying in the house of Simon the Tanner. And at the same time, Peter has a vision from the Lord to teach him that the ceremonial uncleanness of the Gentiles, filthy people, we don't go near them. We don't eat food with them. And if they happen to want to follow the one God, we only allow them into the temple of the Gentiles. There's no way they are coming any closer to holy things than that. And Peter has this vision to teach him that the uncleanness, the apparent uncleanness of the Gentiles is not to be a hindrance. That's what the prejudice thing was, was not to be a hindrance to their acceptance by God. The gospel is about to go global. I think one of the books I read in this refers to this passage as the Gentile Pentecost. There was more than one Pentecost. There was the day of Pentecost to the Jews. There was the Samaritan Pentecost under Philip. And there is the Pentecost to the Gen- of the Gentiles here in 10 and 11. The gospel is about to go global. Peter concludes... Uh, or, or remembers what, what, they, uh, what God said to him, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's all gone. All that Old Testament stuff. When Peter meets Cornelius, therefore, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Chapter 10, back in chapter 10 at verse 35. Does this mean that Cornelius and others like him are already justified? It says there, does what fears God and does what's right. Are they already justified? Are they already right with God? Are they already reconciled to God? Are they already saved from their sin and saved from judgment? Is that what Peter is concluding here? Is that what he is saying? Is there some other way to get to God? Is it possible that there are unreached people who already have a saving relationship with God before they hear the gospel of Christ? So that's the story. And that's the question which comes out of it. So our question in the second place is, Was Cornelius already saved? 
In chapter 11 at verse 14, we read Peter's report on the angel who appeared to Cornelius. And this bit is added into Peter's report. The angel said to uh, Cornelius, he, that is the man in Joppa, Peter, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Now, we could actually stop there. Surely he wanted to. That's the answer to the question. Cornelius was not saved. It still had to happen. He was God-fearing. As a, as a Roman centurion, a pagan, he was desiring to worship the one God. And the text says that the, the gifts that he was making to the poor and throughout the, the Jewish people were rising up as a memorial offering to God. Now, a memorial offering was one which was, in a sense, a crying out for light, a crying out for salvation, a crying out for help. That's what it means, the memorial offering. But Cornelius was not saved. It was still to happen. In 1043, we read, we, we read at the end of Peter's sermon, all the prophets testify about him, that's Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Cornelius could only be forgiven by believing in Christ. Peter's building up a picture here for us. God is building up a picture for us, lest we have some doubts about the power of the gospel. Elsewhere in the Acts of the Apostles, we haven't time to go to all the, 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 the situations, but elsewhere, even the most God-fearing people, the best of people, the best of religious people, the best of Jewish religious people, they are told that they must repent and believe in order to be saved. The Jews at Pentecost are the a typical example. They were called God-fearing in chapter 2, as Cornelius was. But Peter ended his message by calling these God-fearing Jews to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. God-fearing wasn't enough. To be a Jew wasn't enough in those far-off days. So, Luke is not trying to tell us that that devout, that devout God-fearing people who practice what is right and good in the best way they know how are already saved and do not need the gospel. Their only hope is to believe in Jesus. It's the only hope. When Peter reported this mission to the unbelievers, to the believers in Jerusalem, as we've seen, the believers respond, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even to Gentiles, God has sent Jesus. God has sent the gospel. God has sent the possibility of eternal life. Eternal life that required repentance. Turning away from sin and turning back to God. Repentance which would only come, now here's the, here's the thing, would only come when they heard the gospel of Christ and turned to believe and follow Jesus. So Peter's statement in 1035 
uh, does not mean that Cornelius the Gentile was already saved because he was in some sense a God-fearer and did many right and noble things, and nor are we. Whatever lovely things we do, whatever lovely things we do, nor are our family, nor are our friends, nor are our very nice and helpful work colleagues. They are not saved, no matter how God-fearing they are. I, I can't help feeling it so often there are God-fearing people sitting in the pews of churches all over the nation and all over the world, but God-fearing is not enough. It is not enough to go through the motions. It is not enough to try hard all week and do really nice things. It is not enough. So, where does this passage then take us in the third place? We can ask this question, so if Cornelius was not saved, when and how was he saved? And we read in, back in chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking, Peter was preaching, he'd done all the stuff. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Note verse 44 in chapter 10. That's the Gentile Pentecost. The gospel would never be held back again. They would try, the Romans would try, the Jews would try. A, a hundred thousand and cultures over the next 20 centuries will try to stop this gospel, but they won't. And they will never until Jesus comes again, when they won't have the opportunity to. Cornelius was saved at that precise time when the gospel was explained to him and his household. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and the Holy Spirit opened the eyes of their hearts, and the Holy Spirit made them understand what Peter was saying and how they could be saved. And <clears throat> and they looked to Jesus for their salvation. Do you see what is happening here? We need to because it's still the way it happens. The message is the essential ingredient in the scenario. Cornelius was not being informed that he was already saved. If he sends for Peter and he hears the message and he believes on the Christ of the message, then he will be saved. If he does not, he will not be saved. He will not be saved. And that's what God has been about here. Miraculously getting Peter and Cornelius together so that Cornelius could not have some strange outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but that Cornelius could hear the message which was essential to his eternal well-being. And as Marty takes you through the Acts of the Apostles, that is what you hear time and time and time again. It is the message which the apostles carried and which the, the persecuted believers carried. You were in that two weeks ago, the latter half of chapter, chapter 11 in Antioch. That is the message. 
That is what happened. That is what was necessary for men and women and young folk and children to be saved and gain eternal life. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So back to that original question. What about people who have never heard the gospel? Here's the answer. They will not be saved without the gospel. Isn't that horrendous? They will not be saved. What a pity. There couldn't be an easier way. What a pity I couldn't earn my way. And what a pity all that God-fearing stuff that Cornelius did couldn't get him into the kingdom of God. They will not be saved without the gospel. And if we're believers, if we're not believers, if we're here this morning and we're not Christians, and maybe we're a Cornelius this morning, then we need to, we need to sort this. We need to hear the gospel. You've heard it. Jesus died for sinful people. And he beckons sinful people to come to him and receive eternal life. If you're a Christian this morning, that should lead us to our concluding question, I think. Number four, we're finishing here. Following what we hear on this, what should be our concern? I put a text, uh, you'll probably not be able to read it, probably too far away. Let me read this for you. It's Paul writing to the Roman Christians at chapter 10. And Paul writes this, and it follows on from what, from what we are reading in terms of Peter and Cornelius. For there is no difference. There, there's no difference. That's what Peter had to learn. He had to recycle his mindset. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And this is Paul speaking. This is the guy who was putting Christians in prison a couple of chapters earlier and was very happy to see the Christians martyred. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, says Paul. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Now here's the thing from verse 13 in Romans 10. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's exactly what Peter was saying, isn't it? All very consistent. But then he goes on. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? How can they hear without someone telling them about Jesus. That's what your spiritual conversations thing is about on the Wednesday evenings. Not preaching sermons. Just sharing the good news of the gospel. You see, our concern should be this, I think. No, I don't think. I'm convinced of it. That our concern 
our passion, our motivation, if we really are in Christ with Cornelius and Peter and Paul, is to see the terrible predicament of a vast swathe of mankind and realize that even if they have come to some knowledge of God through nature or through their own consciences, and that is entirely possible, or even some visionary experience. <coughs> we'll not go down, <coughs> down that road at the moment, but perhaps, like Cornelius, it won't save them. They need the gospel, which reveals the Christ. And they will not be saved without this. This bit in the background, the red bit, all those people, there are millions of people behind that red patch. Um, I'm not sure which sermon it was over the last two or three weeks, but uh, one of the comments was this from Marty Mayer. We, we, we need to see people as God sees them. So we do. We need to see them as people who are without hope in the world, outside of Jesus, and therefore outside of the gospel. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? They can't. In the case of Cornelius, God was moving his mission forward. That's what you're, you're, you're seeing as you study through the Acts of the Apostles. He was moving his mission forward to include the Gentiles. Uh, soon, the gospel is going to be invading Europe. Invading Europe. It's going to arrive in an island called Ireland one of those days while the Roman Empire was still happening. And there were going to be believers in that little horrible, <laughs> cold, wet, misty uh, island. It hasn't changed. That hasn't changed either in 2,000 years. The Romans hated it. They needed the gospel there. And they still need it on that same piece of ground. He is still, God is still moving forward into the nations. And like Peter, we as the church are bound to engage with the Lord in his amazing cause. These words of Paul should reverberate day and night in all the churches. It doesn't matter what banner they fly, it's irrelevant. It is our unspeakable privilege to be caught up with the living God and his Christ in the greatest movement in history. The ingathering of the elect from every tribe and language and people and nation until the full number of the Gentiles comes in and all Israel is saved. The spiritual Israel is saved until the Son of Man descends with great power and great glory as King of kings and Lord of lords and the earth is full of the knowledge of that glory. As the waters cover the sea, and that forever and ever. The question is, <clears throat> we're finishing. The question is, have we seen this truth? And have we risen to the challenge? You're rising. You're rising. But there's more rising to be done. Is everybody rising to this challenge? Are we part of God's unstoppable? You, you know what? 
you cannot get another thing to be involved in on planet Earth like this because everything stops. Everything runs out. Everything comes to an end. This mission is unstoppable until Christ shall come. Should perhaps we not be the Peter for some waiting Cornelius person? Let's pray. Father, your word takes us backwards a couple of thousand years, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for those amazing happenings in Caesarea by the seaside. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for Cornelius. Thank you for the mind-blowing and mind-opening experience which Peter had. And thank you for the heart-opening experience which Cornelius had. And thank you that he got it because Peter crossed the cultural barrier and brought him the message, the good news, the gospel. Father, this word doesn't just look back. It, it anchors us in the present and points us to the future. Lord, we pray that if we believe in Jesus, we will hear that call, that call to share our Savior, to share the gospel, to share the message, the word of God. We pray, Lord, that how we may do it ever so simply, that there may be those who would be glad to have met us because, like Cornelius, they met a messenger of the living God and his Christ. Send us forth on that unstoppable mission, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.